Hello, it's Yotam here. Thank you for continuing to listen to Simple Pleasures. And for anyone new here, I hope you enjoy the series. I wanted to let you know that I have a new cookbook out this September, co-written with Easter Belfridge, who works with me in my test kitchen. It's called Ottolenghi Flavor and is available to order now. Flavor is a vegetable-centered cookbook which focuses on all the different ways in which you can dial up flavor and create fireworks in your cooking. True to the Ottolenghi spirit. Hello and welcome to Simple Pleasures with me, Yotam Ottolenghi. This is a series in which I invite you and a special guest to my home to discuss the simple pleasures in life. From food, mainly food actually, to travel, to art, to food again, we discuss all of this over dishes from my new cookbook, Ottolenghi Simple. To me, simple means ease. It means less anxiety and less stress, doing things that are comfortable and familiar and not always massively challenging. I want to take the guilt out of the equation and inject an extra dose of joy. Today I've got Helen Go. She's a really, really close friend. We've, I've known her for more than a decade. She's everything. She's a cook, chef, recipe developer. She works with me. We published a book together called Sweet. She's also got a PhD in psychology, so she's like a superwoman. And Helen and I will talk a bit. I'll serve her chili fish uh, with tahini. She's from Malaysia, so she loves chili. And I'm going to serve it with some chopped salad and with feta and za'atar. And we'll just kind of hang out, talk about life's simple pleasures and have a good time. Hi. Hello. Hello. You're dressed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just decided to dress up for the occasion. Very nice. The theme is simple pleasures. Mm -hmm. And I made something that I think you like, which is okay. a chili fish. There's a chili theme going on in our yeah, lives, no, chili. right? Are you, you had me at chili. <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. So um, there's chili fish, and then there's a kind of a Middle East. I thought I couldn't cook Asian food for you because you, you, <laughs> you introduced me to Asian food. But uh, so I'm making like a Middle Eastern kind of version of what would be quite popular in Malaysia where you grew up. Okay. So a chili Sounds fish, great. I think it would be popular. But uh, so a chili fish and a kind of a chopped Arabic Israeli great. salad. The thing is, so I'm trying to figure out, not really scientifically, but just through kind of chatting to you and to other people, people's idea of simple pleasure. What does simplicity mean for you? And what simple pleasure? Because the the book is really all about looking at, from this perspective, at food. So mm -hmm. what could we do to make your life easier, right? So what would make your life easier? Oh, I was going to ask you that question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, for me, I think really it's about, first of all, not feeling that I've got to perform. For me, the ideal scenario for simple cooking is 8 o'clock in the evening, mm -hmm. Carl's gone upstairs to watch some TV, mm -hmm. and I'm here making a cake for people who are coming the next morning and the ingredients for a frittata or something like that, you know, kind of getting all the usual business of the day out of the way mm -hmm. so and engaging. space and time at night. Yes, space and time. It doesn't done. need to be at night. Would you like a pistachio? Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> just one or ten. I mean, but when everything else is dealt with, then you can focus on the cooking. Yeah, because just so, there's so much going on in my life. Yeah. And as I know, it's you, I mean... I better mention to the audience who you are and what you are and what our relationship is. Sure. So Helen and I have met about 10 years ago when she came over from Australia, right? You came over from mm -hmm. Australia to, mm -hmm. um, to move to London and you were a pastry chef and a chef and a psychotherapist. You still are, okay. all of the above. Yeah. And uh, you asked me for a job. And to make a long story, a very long story, very short, we worked together for many years. And you worked at Ottolenghi and you create and you still create recipes for Ottolenghi. And then last year we published a cookbook together called yeah. Sweet. Um, yeah, and we became friends and you taught me about Asian food. Well, we traveled to Asia, we, which was... We traveled to Asia. We traveled to Malaysia together. Malaysia. We always used to say Malaysia truly Asia. Truly Asia. Malaysia truly Asia. <laughs> which yeah. was a, a slogan experience. for the Malaysian tourist board, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, and, and now... I've just brought you here, first of all, to feed you, but then, yeah, to, to kind of understand what it is that 
makes. I, I see it not so much about cooking, simple, simple cooking or easy cooking, but about a state of mind. Mm, I, I, that's an interesting way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, recently I've written something, I said it's, it's not about easy, it's about ease. Mm. And uh, how, so how would you differentiate the two? I've been in a situation where I had to cook the simplest dish, just like fried fish, mm -hmm. uh, with the salsa, and it was just went so wrong. I, I had a camera in front mm. of my eyes, so I, did, I, did, I, had to do, I had to do it for uh, for a program I did for Channel Four years ago, and I was yeah. uh, filming in Morocco, and I had an audience. So I said, yeah, "It's fine. You have an audience. It's fine." But they were all like strangers, you know, a few mm. kids that gathered around. It was cooking outdoors in a in a restaurant, and so we were on the beach. Yeah. And this, the wind was just blowing really hard, oh. so the coals were just like completely either blown out completely, or I had this oh, no. gunk going all over the fish. Yeah. And I was just super stressed, and I just mm. couldn't get it right until they kind of put the board or something to stop the wind, and it was just like. Yeah. And then a few days later, I went with these fishermen on their boat, and uh, they were cooking something really elaborate with hardly anything. You know, they caught really? some sardines, mm. minced them up with this like machine that like a tiny food processor yeah. that they had a little battery that they attached to to make and they make the most they make the most delicious fish cakes in a yeah. tomato sauce oh, and they yeah. did it yeah. and they did it in like 20 minutes in the mm. worst conditions right. and and it was a complicated recipe they yeah. were filleting the sardines by hand they were getting all this uh, some of the bones out they were blitzing it they were yeah. making a tomato sauce everything and did you think it looked easy no, what I'm saying is, it looked e it was easy for them. Oh, right. I mean, yes, it was easy yes, for them. They yes, were on a boat. They, yeah. they were cooking something quite complicated. They're and also used to those conditions. I mean, you're not used to yeah. having wind gale forces blow at you <laughs> while you're cooking in the kitchen. I'm, I'm not. No, I'm not. But I think the whole, I think simple is a, I mean, for example, with cakes anyway. Yeah. It's, they're the hardest to get right, I think. Simple recipes. Simple cakes, simple. anyway. Really? What Don't do you, you mean think? Like, if you want to do like a very simple Victoria sponge, you know, you've, it's got to be perfect. Because you're so exposed. Because you're There's so no... exposed. Because it, it, the cake is so exposed. There's nothing, That's you know, I mean. no big ganache and no big salted caramel praline you're on just, it, you know. You're just, just judged by the quality of the sponge. The quality of the sponge, the crumb, the flavor. This is what I was thinking about the cake that they did recently for the royal wedding. Ah, yeah. Claire Pack's cake. Yes. And I was thinking, it wasn't one of these traditionally elaborate, massive cakes that they yeah. used to have for royal weddings, right? In the, in the couple of No, not at all. In it fact, was... it relied very much on. I mean, even the icing, the finish, was deliberately unfinished, yeah. you know? Because some people said, oh, God, that didn't look like it would smell better. No, I said, that's the style. Yeah, and I yeah. thought I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. beautiful. As opposed to these kind of marzipan-laden yes. fruitcakes with all the icing that takes yeah. a week to make, and yeah. you go like, who wants to eat that? Exactly. I mean, I think they really made a thing of, you know, that the elderflower picked at... Yeah. Um, Prince Charles's estate, and you know, I, and the flowers were also picked. Well, maybe some of them, maybe not. So that's also another example, really, where simplicity can really get get you amazing results. Yeah, you know, because, beautiful. It was you beautiful. Get, we often we often said that say that you know you do one thing really well. Yeah, it's worth than a million other things absolutely. that are kind of not absolutely really yeah. really really well. Yeah. So what are you cooking that's super simple? Because it doesn't look that simple to me. <laughs> that is really is simple. From, is this from Simple? This is from the book Simple. Okay. Mm -hmm. And essentially what it is, it is simple. It really yeah, is simple. Yeah. So I've got here chocolate. Because we're, I'm distracting you. You are talking. Distracting. I can't talk. <laughs> I, I have a nibble here. Let's just start with a nibble. So those are butter beans. They're huge. They I guess I thought they were nice little plump garlic. Ah, really? No, they're mm. butter beans. Mm. And they're... Marinated in chili oil, cascabel mm, oil, the um, ch uh, Mexican chili, mm -hmm. with um, with some lime, mm. and then they you get they get another extra squeeze. Delicious! I'm going to have another one. Of, uh, citrus on top, and the fish that I'm cooking is um, is halibut, mm -hmm. quickly cooking in a sauce that is. Mm -hmm. It is simple, really it's simple. It's almost like it's poached in there. Is it yeah. poaching? Yeah. So essentially, it's a tomato-based sauce. Mm -hmm. So they've got chilies, garlic, uh, uh, tomatoes. Um, so you've got fresh chilies and ancho chilies. And then it's what I do is I just drizzle it with a bit of tahini sauce. Oh, so tahini is another. Is it, it's quite predictably, tahini is another theme. You know. Well, that adds a lot of flavor just with the completely. one product, doesn't it? Yeah. Completely. Yeah. But let's go back to what I was going to ask you, and then you asked me. Yeah. What is for you, not simple, but easy cooking? Easy when, cooking. Yeah. 
You know, I think when I had the kids, yeah. the thing that really came into its own is the freezer for me. The freezer? Yeah. I um, love my freezer. You know, I even, in fact, my brother-in-law, who's... Uh, I'll open my freezer door. Well, we, we both, Carl and I, cook for the freezer, and I think this ah, thing, this, yeah, this drawer... Salt I, beef in the freezer! Wow, I, did, I, I made that. some salt beef the other day. That's great. But just that drawer is just, it's just, it's, yeah. it gives you confidence. You Doesn't can, it? Right. You, you can, can come do... home from work exactly. and you know there's something there that you could... Yeah. It makes such a difference. And I used to think it was too much of a shortcut, as though it was like a sacrifice in quality or something, if you, if you freeze. So then I did it by necessity because of the kids, and I realised, actually, it's fantastic. So what is the easiest? Cooking, in, batch cooking on the weekend to put in, in containers for the week? Yeah, and I know you and I freeze crepes, right? Yeah, because you, I've told me, you told me to freeze crepes and I follow you. Well, <laughs> although I did take it one step too far last week when I froze like 50 of them without putting the Silicon parchment paper, paper oh. between them. And oh my goodness, after it was like trying to, I was tearing them apart, trying to they separate them. They all stuck. Terrible. <laughs> My um, brother-in-law, Josh, who's a, a pediatric nephrologist, which is a, someone who specializes in um, kidney problems in babies and infants, he came over to do a, a stint at the Great Ormond Street Hospital. Uh -huh. But he went, when he went back to Melbourne, he said the best thing he learned when he came to stay in London was that I, how to freeze cooked rice. How cooked <laughs> rice made his life so much easier. So do you cook, do you freeze cooked rice? I do. Sorry to go down to that level of details. No, but I, I do. And it's great. So what, what, and, Because and what rice do, is, you know, it takes at least 20 minutes to cook. And it's not without, I mean, I know people laugh and think that I must just cook rice with my eyes closed because I'm Chinese. But actually, it took me a long time to learn how to get rice to the kind of texture that I like. Really? I think it's because growing up, we big family, five kids, my mother always used a huge rice cooker. Yeah. So I never saw it being made, really. I think it's a security thing. Where as long as there's kind of rice bubbling away in there in a pot, you know, warm, ready to go, you feel kind of safe and secure. That's like the backdrop of Asian cooking, you know? Oh, I never thought about it like that. Well, with you, the know, rice. you know the Chinese greeting, you know, they don't say, hi, how are you? They say, hi, japabe, which is, hi, have you eaten? And really? it's actually, if you translate it literally, it's, it means, have you eaten rice? Because surely you can't be well if you haven't eaten rice. Wow. So that is the greeting. So we should find the equivalent. We, we need it. Have you had tahini? <laughs> or maybe something like, what's cooking good looking? That's, yeah. Sorry, that's a that's might, be your, might be your television show or something. <laughs> oh. So I'm just going to finish the salad. So as you expect, there's lots of lemon juice and um, olive oil and za'atar on top. Oh. But it really is like something that we've seen a million times, but I, you can never get enough of. I guess it's a bit like your rice, you know, yes. it's just chopped salad. I mean, in Israel, mm. where I grew up, a chopped salad is something you have in, for almost for every meal. Yeah. So You know, when I was in Israel, in Tel Aviv, we had that for breakfast and I loved it. Yeah. And then I thought, I'm going to come back and eat this every morning and I've never done it. <laughs> <laughs> Although did, we did talk would, about I, putting I, it I on the menu. After we went to Malaysia, I thought I'm going to make nasi lemak for every breakfast oh. and I haven't made nasi lemak since, if right? Only, <laughs> if only you could, I would be here every morning. <laughs> So, um, so that's your tahini. So I've got the chopped um, vegetables, tomatoes, cucumbers, and peppers. Mm -hmm. Some za'atar on top, and I'm just going to drizzle a bit of raw tahini. Can I take? Let's go to the table. table. Yeah, you can take the a monk's beard. So you were asking me about this simple, you know, what other things sort of ease my life. Yeah, tell me. I mean, I think one of the things I like doing is just buying what is good and augmenting it with what I'm making. So I can't, then I can just focus on what I love do, making. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, if I want to make a sponge cake, I might buy a really good lemon curd. Mm. You know, so I think that makes life easy. Really simple. So you can then just focus on what you enjoy doing rather than thinking you've got to make all these components. So essentially what you're saying is that there's no shame in using no, something that's been made or prepared. Not. Or... Because the thing is, 
I mean, in desserts anyway, or actually not just in desserts, but there's so many components to a dish. So for example, like if you wanted to make a dish poached in tomato, you could buy the tomato, tomato sauce, sauce, right? Yeah. Good quality passata, yeah. right? Completely. And then you could enjoy the process rather than thinking, oh God, I've got to make the sauce. Then I, And then you've lived, lost the will to live by yeah. the time you... <laughs> <laughs> I completely agree with that. Like, yeah. I love certain things that come out of cans, like, you know, uh -huh. like sardines or, oh, yeah, yeah, or anchovies, exactly. really yes. good ones. So yeah. often I think, oh, what should I do with, with this tin of Ortiz anchovies, you know, yeah. because they're so nice. Yes. And my, my, my parents, they're both great cook and my dad has an Italian heritage and they have absolutely no qualms about opening yeah. one of these Barilla jars, right. you know, of yeah. sauce yeah, exactly. or any other brand, you know, with, there's many of them and just yeah. adding a bit of basil. And mm. so someone made the tomato sauce, like you said, but right. I just kind of augment it or exactly. fix it a bit. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But what do you cook when you want to entertain? Because you, you entertain a lot, right? I used to. I mean, not so much. BC, no. before children. Before children, exactly. What do I... I mean, I feel most comfortable probably with Asian cooking. Mm -hmm. um, but I quite like things that are you can prep ahead of time, obviously. Um, I'm working, for example, on a breakfast strata at the moment. You know, like a savory bread pudding. Oh, like yeah, a brunch yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking, why don't I do this more often? I'm doing it for the column that I mm -hmm. write for, but... You have a column for Australian Australia newspaper. newspaper, yeah. And, I mean, you saute of, you know, chorizo or whatever you want to put in it. But then you layer it or toss it with the bread, pour the custard over, and you leave it in the fridge overnight. And then in the morning, you just pop it oh. in the oven. <clears throat> I love bread puddings. Yeah. Well, I, I didn't really... I was, I'm actually doing it for Father's Day in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, but I had not made one before. And now I'm thinking I'm going to make one every Sunday. <laughs> Helen, yes. how do you eat on a podcast? Yeah, well, that's, I'm, I've got, I've got <laughs> my voice. I'm thinking, when can I eat? <laughs> eat something. Because <laughs> you I'll can edit out all the <laughs> noises no, of pleasure. <laughs> if you don't make noises of pleasure, then mm. it's not a, a food podcast, is it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So I'll ask you another thing. Yeah. Because you traveled from, from one culture to another. You know, you, you mm -hmm. moved from Melbourne to London more than a decade ago. Mm -hmm. What is it about, um, it's a big question, but it's about food and identity. Like I perceive you as two things, as Australian and Malaysian, I guess almost yeah. in equal measures. Yeah. Food is definitely part of your identity because as soon as I've met you, you cooked a Malaysian meal for, or Malaysian food for me. Yeah. And you know, but do you feel that that is really part of your DNA, this particular food that you grew up having, Australia, Malaysia? You know what, I think it is, but I think it probably is more so because it's Malaysia. Um, David, my husband, very uncharitably says that Malaysians have no other culture, that's why they rely on food. <laughs> food is their culture. And I get yeah. really irritated when I hear that because it's so dismissive, but I think there's a bit of truth in it too. Because, yes, I think maybe the food that you... I mean, people say it, it's almost like a cliché that the food, you know, you'll never forget your mother cooking you this or that. But I think with Malaysian cooking, I mean, Malaysians take their food very, very seriously. And I think it does define you somewhat. I don't know that I've ever met a Malaysian who didn't like to eat. Or to cook? Well, no, actually, cook, Malaysian cooking is quite complex. Malaysian cooking really does rely on a lot of shortcuts. So you take something like ketchup manis, which is something that has been prepared and made, and it's part of the mm -hmm. preparation pro process, right? Is that well, true or not yes really? Yes and no, but then you've got the sambals. Now, any good home cook would not buy a sambal. They would they make, would make their, their sambal, okay. which goes from sort of rehydrating dried chilies and pounding it with like a mortar and pestle. But it's not realistic in our well, day and age. It's like, not. That's why few people cook Malaysians, even Malaysians. And also you'll see, I mean, you, you know, we went to Malaysia together. Mm -hmm. You'll see that there are street stalls all day long. I mean, you, in the morning you have the kueh, which is those steamed glutinous rice cakes. Oh, you have noodles, nasi lemak, roti chanai. You have all of that. And then it's no sooner it's packed away that the the kind of elevenses comes out <laughs> and they will be anything from goreng pisang which is sort of banana fritters 
to a bowl of, uh, you know, red bean soup, which is sweet, you know, or ice kacang, you know. My dread. Your dread. My (laughs) my heaven. I can never get my head around something that's got ice Did you not like ice cones when you were growing up? Corn and syrup. And I go like, oh my gosh, how could you eat that? But I know, I know it's a kind of a childish thing. I don't don't like the, Gary loves that, um, what's it called? The bubble tea. Oh yeah, I can't stand the bubble tea. So I actually even have a bit of a, bit of a phobia about that bubble yeah, tea. Not another phobia. <laughs> <laughs> one of my many. But that one is about kind of feeling it choking me. Those bubbles. Really. It doesn't feel like it's organic. That material. It feels oh, like it's yeah. synthetic. Completely eating plastic. Yeah. Actually, plastic recently egg. a friend of mine um, took Sam, my son, out for a movie, and they had bubble tea afterwards, and I was so irrationally furious with <laughs> really? her. Really? Yeah, because I was like, do not introduce him to that. I'll never take him to a bubble tea shop. He loved it, of course. Mm. But you know that Malaysian way of eating, which is complex, and there's expectation for a certain bit to be served every part of the day, you know, the Mm -hmm. breakfast, the lunch, the dinner. I think one of the problems that we have in in Western cultures is that we try to import all sorts of ideas about eating from other cultures. Mm -hmm. And then we think, oh, we really have to have this and that and that and prepare whole meals. And... I've really enjoyed recently Ruby Tando saying, you know, we actually, all these expectations are really, can be quite oppressive, you know, because mm-hmm. you decide what's right and what's wrong. And you, and you, you other people, tell, you don't decide what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. People tell you how you should eat, what is expected of you. Everything needs to be super wholesome. Yeah. And we import anxieties from other cultures. Well, we import mm-hmm. other, uh, other cultures' values and then we, yeah. we, be, we become anxious about it. Yeah, and I think not just other cultures, but even within our own culture, we listen to dictates about what we ought to eat, and then you lose that barometer of what you want to eat. I mean, I find sometimes I I, I have a bit of that when I think, okay, well, I can't eat this today or that today, and actually at the end of the day, I end up eating more because I'm not satisfied. Whereas when I listen to myself and think, okay, you really want chili fish, have your chili fish and then shut up, yeah, you know? I know why you say chili fish, that's what I mean. <laughs> well, well, it's just because it's in front of me looking delicious, but it could be anything, yeah. you know. I think this idea about eating what you want, isn't that the title of her book, by the way? Um, well, one of them, anyway. No, eat up, eat up, which is also nice. I like being told to eat up. <laughs> um, yeah, you, you lose the barometer of what you're really craving and what you really want. And yeah. I know when... and. I don't know whether this is um, a bit romantic, but I know when I eat what I really feel like, I'm, I'm satisfied. I, then, I don't then pick at things and binge and go and eat, you know, chips. and. I think this is really key because, you know, sitting here with you, eating something that's been literally cooked, could be cooked within half an hour, it's quite liberating that you can actually put a meal on the table within a short amount of time. Also very satisfying, mm. right? To be able to put it together and also for it to look good because I think that's half of it, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm trying to do this thing because of this guilt about, you know, thinking, oh, what should I eat and what should I be feeding my kids yeah. and, and, and how to do it properly. I tried to do something which is, you know, you reminded me by saying, you know, listening to your inner voice that knows if you're hungry or not hungry. You know what you need, what you don't need. And just come and cook what I feel like and not think what they need to eat now because they yes. haven't had fish for three days. I'm going to make yeah, fish yeah, now. Yeah, I'm exactly. going to do this, that, or the other. Because I don't think our parents did anything like that. I'm looking back at the way my, I was raised. I don't think anyone thought about how, you know, how you mean to be really kind of completely on, you know, in a party line when it comes to nutrition or the right balance or all that kind of stuff. And then that's what you're talking about. You were talking about losing... The sense of a compass, you know, having an inner compass telling you what is right and what's what's wrong. And just cook what you feel like cooking, what you love eating and, you know, and giving desserts and having all those wonderful things. And I think once you've presented all that, then kids will have a right idea about what's what's right to eat. Also, just the idea of enjoyment rather than nutrition or balance, you know, I think when there's enjoyment, I really believe that balance takes care of itself. Absolutely. Actually, recently it was Noam actually who told me. I don't know how it came up, but he no, told me. No, is, our, is our, one of the partners in Otolengi and a good friend, right? And a really good friend. <laughs> and I don't know how it came up, but it transpires that Norman and Gary eat the same thing 
each day of the week. No, we, it came about because we were talking about shopping, and I said I dislike having to shop. And he said, "Shop for what? Shop for food, uh, yeah. right? Like supermarket shopping. Actually, I like going to the market, which we do once a week." But Noam says he has a standing order. When he places an order online, he just presses reorder, like he orders the same, same food thing. every week. I said, but how, well, how do you do that? That means you're eating the same food every week. He says, yes, on Monday we have chicken, on Tuesday we have salmon, and, you know, and he says, it, it's very simple. And I thought, it does, that is very simple, because, I sp you know, if I have to place a, a supermarket order, it takes me ages. Because I might you're, as like, you're like me. I mean, it's like even walking into a supermarket is an yes. ordeal, because you're never going to come out. Well, online shopping is no quicker, I can tell you, because, <laughs> I mean, I have spent two hours online shopping. But Noam says he does this, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it. It's a great idea. And I tried to do it. I lasted about two, four days, I think. I thought, you know, because there's, it, you take the compass out of it. You, you don't have that sense of what you're really craving yeah. and what you really want. So I'll, I'll reveal the fact that you're a, you're a doctor and you're a psych psychotherapist. Mm -hmm. uh, so everybody knows now we got it out of the way, right? Dr. Helen Go. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I don't even know what that means anymore. <laughs> so being a psychotherapist and someone who cooks for a living or is surrounded by food for a living, mm -hmm. often people create those kind of, I've, I've been with you and you've been asked, uh, it, what's the affinity or what are the co connections? And you always say, oh, you, you struggle a bit with the answer. I to know, this that's question. why I'm thinking, you, think you've I, heard me struggle and you're yeah. still asking me this question. <laughs> no, but what I was going to say is now I think you actually put the finger on it because what you said is that, Okay, as a psychotherapist, I, what I would say, I, I try to tell people, you know, let people find things from within, I guess. You don't yes. come up with answers if, well, as a good psychotherapist. Thank you. That's very <laughs> clever. And, you and know the, me better than I know me. <laughs> and the same is what you said about food. You know, I present a smorgasbord of delicious things to you. Yeah. You're my child, my reader, you know, or my client in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And, and you can choose, but you will know what to choose because there is a bit like a, there's an inner voice that tells you what's good for you. Yes, there's that. That's absolutely true, I think. But also, when you eat something that is satisfying and when, that's something you really want to eat, it hits a spot. And that, there's something transformational about that in the way that if you give a good interpretation to a client or a patient that makes sense to them, it hits a spot. Yeah. And that has the capacity to transform. It's very powerful. Great. Now we know what to answer next time we're asked. You know so what to answer. the motto what? is, think carefully what you want to eat <laughs> and enjoy a... it. So just the nitty gritty of cooking at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. I know we don't need to talk only about that, but um, do you struggle for ideas what to cook? What am I going to cook today? No, one of my problems is that I overthink things. Yes, I know that. You know what you I do mean? Have and then. Problem. And if I have people over, I kind of enjoy planning a menu. In fact, I think that's the most enjoyable part. <laughs> you the used least... to be a menu planner, right? Well, well you, I, you were I catering. Love that. Yes, exactly. And I had, I could, I had this thing when I was catering that if mm -hmm. I couldn't visualize it happening, it wasn't going to be a success. And it, it, it was very accurate. The events, let's say it's a wedding party or something, if I couldn't visualize it, Maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If I can't visualize it, then I get anxious. And if I get anxious, then I don't, don't you know, do, do a good well. job. So with cooking for your family... I hate it, to be honest. There <laughs> <laughs> you the, said that. The everyday, the quotidian cooking, I find it quite tedious. I think that is just about the satisfaction of getting everyone fed and done rather yeah. than the enjoyment. I'd like to change, and I am hoping that that will change. So that is actually really liberating, I think, talking about you know, simple pleasures or mm. satisfaction yes. to say, okay, I love cooking. I love food. I don't like cooking for my family on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, that yeah. is quite, uh, people would find that very liberating when, to hear that from you. You mean to acknowledge or to admit? Uh, admitting you mean? to yeah. that it's, it's, it could be a bore it, yeah. it's, uh, it, and it's not, and it's not like I don't like food or it's not like I'm not, I'm not doing my mm. job properly as a parent or as, you know, I, it's just, it's just can be really boring. Yeah, I think also that there's a factor of the unpredictability with the kids. So you might think, okay, I'm oh going to make God, this, you know, it. this me goring. It's going to be great. We're all going to sit down, and then somehow it doesn't materialize, and you, I feel almost. I mean, it's, of course, it's not their fault. They're, they're just little ones being themselves. But I feel almost like sit down. I made this for you. <laughs> sit. <laughs> sit and eat. I got to say, like, go like, I don't like this, and I go, and I don't understand why. 
on earth would you not like that because yeah. you liked it yesterday but that, um, level of, but that level of consistency is, just doesn't apply to children. But wait a minute, maybe that's a bit hypocritical of us because we can say, well, I like this, but I'm not in the mood for it tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, maybe they just... Yeah, but they're know. not in the mood for something every day, right? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <true>. <laughs> they're not in the mood for this, they're not in the mood for that. That's Sometimes true. they finish half a bowl and they go, I don't like it. I also think with Sam particularly, who's very sensitive to all sorts of things, also food and, and taste buds and... and um, uh, all sorts of sensual things but he used to love papaya for instance yeah. and there was a phase where I wasn't getting good papaya but somehow I didn't think to not feed it to him and I fed it and now he hates papaya okay. so I think you know fruit especially which are just sublime when they're in season and inedible when they're not. Yeah. I think that's why, you know, it's not to go on about things being in season, but it's actually that when they taste it, when they're, it's at its peak and they love it, you, you're building a kind of lifelong enjoyment of yeah. food. Um, I completely agree. We had the same with peaches. So that right. insistence of having peaches in the winter and sometimes you succumb and you go and buy one. Yes, exactly. And you go, oh, that was a really bad peach experience. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, fruit, I think, is a really good marker of that because it is so different in and season. And it's easy to get them hooked, but they also, it's yes. also easy to get them to hate Because it. it's kind of like candy, but then, you know, if it's not... Candy is quite reliable, but fruit. <laughs> well, that's God's candy. Um, Helen, what else do you do? Mm -hmm. We kind of established that you said that food cooking could be quite stressful, but it could also be relaxing when you do your, you know, your batch cooking and... Yeah. What, what else do you find relaxing? You mean aside from cooking? Yeah, I'm moving on from oh, food. Moving on from that food. Is, quite, right. is that, that possible? Is, that is, <laughs> I, I can tell that you're quite stressed now. Um, you know what? I love reading. Probably that's the thing I miss the most, having had the kids, because I just don't have that the time to read. I know when I said that to you recently, you said, well, shut up and read. Get reading already. No, actually, I'm the same. I don't you know read myself. I mean? Yeah, and I really miss it. Just that time and that sort of the contemplation and just also just the beauty of words, you know, good writing, just that. And then absorbing and learning. It's got everything. Do you think you'll, love, you'll write a novel one day? No way. I mean, God, my, writing to me is like pulling teeth. I, I would love to write, but... I mean, with my column, I, you know, I only have to write like five lines or something. And that's perfect because I do always have something to say about what I'm cooking. But if you have to, if I have to write like a page, <laughs> that would take me a month. <laughs> like writing my PhD was like Your torture. PhD is something that we have all suffered under. Because well, it I, took us, it took you so long, and we, we had to go through your highs and lows oh, with that yeah. PhD. But I never forget what you said to me, which... I really took very much to heart, which was when we started writing Sweet, you said to me, now listen, you had your crisis with the PhD, that's over. Now we're going to get to do Sweet and no more crisis, no crisis involved. And I really took that to heart, right? I mean, we had a few tense moments, but yeah. generally there were no crises, no, right? No, we didn't really yeah. have much crisis. So I, I, I listened to you. Thank you. No, listen to me now. Yes, go on. I'll stop eating. I can't <laughs> no, stop I, eating. I find this eating and podcasting it's really complicated. Not easy. Yeah. yeah. Also, I mean, you're not supposed to talk with your mouth full, are you? Well, I don't mind people talking with their mouth full. No. I think that's very natural. Yeah. <laughs> if there's food in front of me, I'm never not eating. <laughs> so, you, not a novel, but what kind of cookery writing do you like? Who inspires you in that? department i mean it's probably a cliche because everyone will say it's her but i do love nigella's writing mm -hmm. right it's i okay. mean we're in safe space here i'm in safe space yeah i mean it's got everything it's mm. sort of you know she has a kind of judicious amount of self-disclosure about her life yeah. it's very sensual i think but yeah. also informative i mean i think it's got everything yeah recently i enjoyed rachel Rody's writing both in The Guardian and then her cookbook. And mm. she describes, uh, you know, living in Italy. And I just find these kind of little stories that bring evoke kind of family and markets and how a kind of a, a situation turns into a meal or, or a dish. Right. Really, really compelling. And yeah. I, I, I've enjoyed reading that. Yeah. But in terms of cookbooks, I know you introduced me to Stephanie Alexander. Uh-huh, yes. And... She's great, a great recipe writer, don't you think? She is, but I think it's more than that. I mean, because she, she started life as a librarian, adult life anyway. <laughs> she was a <laughs> <laughs> Um 
<laughs> but the thing about Stephanie Alexander is she makes you feel like, don't take it all so seriously, just cook it. You know, you see her recipes are fairly um, sparse. There's mm -hmm. not a lot of description. In fact, it's almost the opposite of Nigella's, you know. It's very practical, but there's something about it that loosens you up, that makes you think it's all right. And even if you have a soggy bottom, that's fine. Uh, you know, it's uh, okay. She'll try and guide you for success. But then there's always built in, there's a caveat almost. It's unwritten, but there's a caveat. It's just enjoy it. Yeah. I think that's liberating. So it's a, we're talking about being liberated from expectations. We're talking about being liberated a lot. Are we feeling <laughs> yeah. a bit shackled or something? No, I, I think that one of the reasons why... I was drawn to the question of simple cooking or simplicity in general mm -hmm. is because I think there's like these cycles in life where, you know, you, you start off when you're a bit younger. You know, I, f I feel very middle aged saying that with a really high set of expectations. Mm -hmm. And this set of expectations could be quite frustrating because you never end up being fulfilling your expectations and you're always kind of feeling like you're running around, you know, can't really catch your tail like a little cat, you know, yes. running in circles and, and you never get there. But once you've kind of lowered the expectations in the best possible way, you know, like this meal here, you know, that's something you can... Cook. You call this lowering expectations? <laughs> I'm only talking about that in the, in the context of, you know, I've been accused over the years of having like... 27 ingredients in my recipes, which I, I raise my hand, I have had those. But you know, the idea that you cooking is for the weekend or cooking or Tolengi cooking is something that you do when you've got a lot of time. When you're on holidays. Head, when, you're, <laughs> when you've got something to wash up your, your dishes for you. <laughs> when All you've the, got a sous chef. <laughs> All no, these sorry, kind of things. Yeah, no, that's but these, these have been, these are kind of accusations that have been leveled yeah. at me. And I take the shame, you know, I, I can I completely see that many of the recipes do take a lot of time and a special, you know, trip to that, that shop and that market and, mm -hmm. you know, and that specialist. Mm -hmm. And now with this book, uh, what I try to do is to kind of hone on what would make people's life easier in, yeah. in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So is it something that you would cook in advance and reheat or something you'd partly cook and then finish off or is it something that really has very few ingredients that you could cook quite quickly so all those kind of questions and I think it's quite easy to be in a position where you can say to yourself okay it's absolutely fine to use for me it's liberating six ingredients and not 22 you know it's just yeah. kind of it's yeah. and, and you can get great flavors and you can get great yeah, no, results absolutely. with with not that all that fanfare and it sounds almost like you know like i'm a her an Ottolenghi heretic you know saying oh, how that how is that possible but it is yeah no it is yeah but what i like about the premise of simple as you're saying it is that at different times simple means different things you know so for me at times it may be i've got to use up what's in my fridge because i don't have time to go shopping that's you know that, the simplicity in that sense and other times it's the simplicity of being able to prepare it ahead. So if you've got friends coming over, you can just pop it in the oven. Yeah. I assume you have the, those recipes in your book. <laughs> I have all of them. Another thing. I'll buy it. Another thing is that idea that there's a chapter called "Easier Than You Think." So, mm -hmm. or not okay. a chapter, but a heading, so "Easier Than You Think." And I think quite a lot of people are terrified by certain things. You know, when we were doing our our, our sweet tour, people say, "Oh." I love cooking, but I don't bake because yes. I find it uh, intimidating. Right. It's just not my department. I don't yeah. do it well. Yeah. And I often think it's it's psychological. It's, there's nothing about baking which is inherently complicated or difficult. Mm. In a sense, it's easier because you don't need to follow a recipe. Yeah. Uh, and there's very little judgment to exercise along the way if you follow the recipe. Mm. Uh, so when I was, I was doing this book, I, I've, I've thought about, okay, well, actually... Let's try to introduce someone to ice cream who would never in the world think of making their own ice cream right, or yes. pizza or things that seem chefy or restauranty yeah. or just complicated and say, okay, actually, you could do this with, within 45 minutes to, mm -hmm. a, to a good level. And that's, that is liberating. So isn't what are it? some of the recipes in that category that you think so, are they, they, Your ice, raspberry ice cream recipe. Oh, yeah. yeah. Is, is that easy? Uh, it is easy it's, because it's, 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 no it's a no-churn yes, ice cream, yes. so that all That's already delicious, makes it actually. quite easy. That's yeah. the one from the Knickerbocker Glory? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love one. that. But just it's on its so, own. And it just tastes so like the raspberries. It's I just mean, like it's eating the essence of raspberry yes, rice in cold lovely. form. It's, yeah. just, it's just so good. Yeah. And in that, under that heading, like I said, there is a pizza. Mm -hmm. uh, things you bake in general are normally expected to be more complicated than they are. So is the pizza made from pizza bases or do you make the dough? You make the dough, but it's a really 
really simple dough that you only let me so you take a bit of instant yeast a right. bit of olive oil uh, flour and a bit of water and you mix it for a very sh relatively short amount mm -hmm. of time and you let it rise and it's ready to go and like i say people think that there is a lot going on but actually you could make a pizza within an hour yeah. or something that looks you know resembling right. a proper pizza because you always think of it like um like you're doing it's a special thing if you're doing pizza yeah you bring everybody around <laughs> you get the kids over you're gonna make the dough in the morning you're gonna bake in the afternoon but actually, well, i've made pizza dough it's not difficult it's not no it's not but the, but is it not, it's all about myths isn't it it's the yes, myth of the yes. pizza and the myth you're of the right. ice cream ice cream yeah and mm. so i mean I think making your own pasta is not a myth. It's just bloody no. hard work, right? Yeah, well, yeah, if you have a machine, but even then. But that actually made me think about something we said before about making pasta is that cooking with children as opposed to cooking for children. Mm -hmm. And you said a few times very bravely on our book tour, it's a nightmare to cook with children <laughs> because you have this idea that it's going to be fun, but actually yeah. it's you never get what you want to achieve because it just becomes a distraction. Well, I think it's there are two things going on. You're either cooking with them as an activity, but don't expect that you're going to cook so that it, you end up with this perfect <laughs> meal. I think if you can let go of that, it's it's okay it's quite enjoyable yeah. so my thing at the moment when I make cookies for example they love cookie dough is that I make a little bit extra and I give it to them to play with so it doesn't matter if it's reworked because yeah. usually I'm thinking don't do that again because I you know I, I, need, that. Of, I need that <laughs> I need that and now I just make them their own they think they're working you know sort of baking with me and they have the sense of baking with me and I have the sense of baking with them without the anxiety that, oh, no, it's going to be all oily and they've got snot on it or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, this, uh, this snot is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> the snot would be a problem, yes. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about is a bit like um, that it involves traveling and food. So yeah. we traveled together in Malaysia and yeah. this was one of the most fundamental food experiences that I had because it doesn't happen very often that yeah. I go somewhere and I'm exposed to a cuisine that I really have no idea about and mm. I enjoy it to the to that level because mm. um before we traveled to Malaysia together I, I we met to a couple of Malaysian restaurants in London but I had no idea about the how immense that cuisine is and mm. how complicated and complex and diverse, diversified it is because it's made out of three cultures. You know, these yes, are the exactly. cuisines of three cultures brought together in yeah. one uh, nation. And I remember that when we were uh, traveling, you were like almost like an encyclopedia of food. Like you went and you said, oh, you've got to try that. So, you know, the Nasi Lamak was the, f the first breakfast we had when yeah. we arrived in yeah. Penang. Penang yeah. But then it was, you know, we had to had all the laksas. Uh, what, what you know it, it, all the particular laxas with the you know with the, from the different regions and yeah. all the rice dishes mm -hmm. and the desserts and everything and it was for me it was just a, such an eye opener you know I, before we traveled to Malaysia I couldn't even eat a tofu you know I hated tofu and you know people would think like how is that possible someone that you know published so many tofu I recipes I that as one of my greatest achievements to have converted, converted me to, to tofu, tofu. yeah yes. I know <laughs> But when you travel, do you have that kind of, I think you recently went to Mex to um, Sicily. Yes. And you came back with, you know, with lots of experiences that you described to me. Is that, does food and travel function like that to you as well, for you as well? Um, yes. You know, when I first met David, who's a very, you know, he's very cultured and learned and all of this. And I think he was very horrified when I came to visit him in London. And I really wanted to go to the supermarkets and the markets. And he wanted to go to Stonehenge and Bath and VNA. VNA, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and I think there was a point very seriously where he thought, oh, gosh, I don't know how we could be together. And then one a day... A cultureless Malaysian. Culture, well, yes, we see, I'm painting you out to be very, very bad, but we're still happily married, I'm happy to say. But he then, I think the penny dropped for him that I actually understand and access a culture and a people through their food. And I think he... The, the thought that perhaps I wasn't so shallow after all once <laughs> once I once he sort of got that about me yeah so yes when I visit a place it's I do try to get in through the food for example in Tuscany you know sort of understanding you know about how they don't put salt in their bread yes I know, you know my dad is so loves this like bland bread and... yeah well I couldn't get it and then now I still don't quite understand but there's something for me about that made Tus Tuscany very um different you know, just that 
no one else likes bread without salt, but they adhere very much to. I, I love that bread now. I really couldn't stand it. Oh, really? Years of, tra you know, from, from traveling and coming. There is something about that you layer it with a flavor, with a prosciutto. And, and I just, I just so, but, but why, why don't they have salt? I was trying I, to think whether I'll, I... I mean, maybe I'm showing my ignorance because I don't really know. But all I know mm. is that for me, when you kind of put it together nicely in a beautiful sandwich, yeah. that blandness that kind yeah. of coats the, the things that are, you know, salty and, and fermented or cheesy... It's just yeah. so good. So I really do you think see that, that it functions more like a carrier. This is my this is my idea. I know it's probably worth nothing, but I know that I grew up with um, in my grandparents' house, which are they're from Italy. They always used to have a tube of anchovies, you know, like mm -hmm. an anchovy paste in a tube. Oh, I love that. Uh, gentleman's uh, relish, yes. isn't it called? Gentleman's relish. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't called that there, no, but, uh, but um, so they used to have these anchovy paste, tube paste come, delivered from, from Italy and a very kind of bland bread with butter and that really super mm -hmm. salty anchovy paste for me yeah. is like such a, just the flavor of childhood. Uh, I get it. You but get where, it? Else, where else can you buy salt-free bread? Like... I don't think no, you can. No. You need to make it yourself. Yes. Well, there's an idea for you. No, Something, simple. Okay. <laughs> Something simple. Something <laughs> simple. One less ingredient, One anyway. Less ingredient. <laughs> um, on this note, should I go and get some tea? Oh, I'd love I've tea. Got Thank you very much. For you. That's very nice. Thank you. And something <laughs> yummy and sweet. Something, a sweet delight. Sweet delight, yes. <laughs> I brought a, very, something which would be very familiar to you. Yeah, I love them. Salt caramel brittle. Mm. You had, from me at, you had me at salt caramel. So it's just, I'm sorry, it's just the, it's the sound of cellophane. Yeah. It's, it's the best sound. Is it? <laughs> I love it. Mm. It means you're opening something delicious. That's true. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a, essentially it's a layer of like a thin savory cracker, yeah. lavash cracker, and a layer of caramel, chocolate on top. It's caramelized so uh, hazelnuts and salt. I wish salt. I'd come up with that. It's I know so you great. didn't develop that no, recipe. No, I didn't. <laughs> but you know what I've done? I've made a um, Passover friendly, not Passover friendly, with matzah. Yeah, Passover friendly. You know, with matzah. Get your holidays right. right. Get my holidays right. Yeah. So you know, if you if you don't want to make your own lavash, so you that's you not did so it with simple. matzah, and it was it was probably amazing. It was it was great. It was, it was just like this. Well, yes, except that matzah goes soft very quickly. Do you find that? Um, if, you. I, if I ate more matzah, I would have probably right. know. Yeah, it does yeah. go. It's like water crackers. They're Listen, very... that could could have made it into your simple. The matzah, matzah, matzah salted yes, caramel. Yes, because it's very easy. So tea and um, a bit of a bit of chocolate caramel brittle. Yeah. That is a good, a good way to uh, end a, a meal. sweet way to end a meal. Yeah. Tell me mm. about your... The, in, I haven't even had a good look. I know it looks amazing. I love mm. the cover and I love the name. And I'm slightly jealous that you're having this baby so soon after sweet. But <laughs> <laughs> but what's in what's simple in dessert? What's simple Desserts, in cakes okay. in there? So um, essentially there... I mean, with cakes, you, mm. they, will, they will always take time to bake. So mm. you can't, you know... Mm -hmm put a cake in the oven and have it take it out after 12 minutes. But yeah, but the oven's doing the work. You're not doing but the work. Exactly. So I think it is about um, the oven doing uh, work. Mm -hmm. I, it's something which is you can just quickly knock together. And I think a simple sponge, like we spoke about, getting it right mm -hmm. is half the work. So there's a couple of cakes that are got really beautiful texture. There's a hazelnut peach and raspberry cake. Do you remember that one? Mm -hmm. It's got a slight crust almost on top from the hazelnut? brown sugar. I don't know that one. I think you've Hazelnut, had it. peach and raspberry. And raspberry uh, cake. Mm. That one is beautiful. And then it, there's a spiced apple cake. So a few cakes. Mm -hmm. uh, that looks gorgeous. What's that? That's a set cheesecake mm. uh, with honey, yogurt. Yeah, they're easy, uh, aren't they? Don't even, you don't even need the oven for that. You don't need the oven. You need to let it set. But this one I've noticed sets quite quickly. So I managed to make it um, and serve it within a few hours. Oh, I like that. Can uh, I have the recipe? Yeah, you can have the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. I might give you a copy of the book if you're nice to if me. If I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> if you come out good on the podcast, I'll give you <laughs> I'll give you that. Oh, dear. And my favorite dessert here, I made it mm -hmm. the, when you and David oh, came there, yes. vanilla custard with roasted strawberries and rhubarb. Remember that... More? I don't remember. When you and David came over, there was this custardy thing. That ah, did, yes, that but you gave us the dregs from some because we didn't get the whole dish of that. <laughs> we didn't. got 
No, we got a little leftover tiny bit that we had ah, to share. Ah, because you came late. You were like, ah, you came for tea and I had a cake. And that was the dessert from mm. lunchtime, right? That's right. You'd had yeah, another yeah, state yeah. thing. Yeah, and then it which rained. Which they served the proper thing and then we... <laughs> <laughs> and then it rained and the cake got soaked. Yes. It was an apple cake. And it's the first time we could sing that song, you know. I, someone left the cake out in the rain. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm going to make it. It literally happened. Because it took so long to bake it, except that it didn't take so long to bake it. <laughs> because it's... In- because it's in Simp Ottolenghi. You know we're showing our age singing MacArthur's Park, Donna Summer. Uh, you're singing it. I'm not. I'm just like humming along. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, more seriously, those yes. are things that are um, dessert-wise, yes. things that are made in advance, like a really, really simple custard. Mm-hmm. Or uh, there's a labne there, which oh, yes. is a dr- like literally just it's yogurt that has lost. Yeah, sweet labne. So I've only ever had them as savoury. Well, what is labneh? Essentially, yeah, it's, it's dra- yogurt, drained yogurt, hung yeah. yogurt. So yeah. you could do savory or sweet yeah, with it. So it's so got roasted good. strawberries. Gorgeous. And and it's just, you know, it's like the thing is you take the um, the flavor by reducing something. You get yes. this intensity of flavor. So you yeah. do that to the yogurt by turning it into labneh. And you do it to the strawberries by roasting them. So you have this kind of... Mm. Uh, really too intense flavor, yogurty flavor and strawberry flavor. That's our style, isn't it? Intense times two. <laughs> Intense times two. You know, what did we say when we were traveling in Malaysia? We said extra joy. Extra joy. That's right. We like to infuse everything with extra, extra joy. joy. <laughs> you know, um, does it spark joy was uh, her, who's that lady, that Japanese lady who wrote that book, The Magic oh, of t- Tidying, t- tidying Up. up and she, yeah. You know, her motto is, if it doesn't spark joy, then throw it out, right? If it doesn't spark joy, throw it out. Well, the question for her is how to decide whether you need to get rid of something. The question you ask is, does it spark joy? No, I love the out. Japanese equivalent to the world my aunt used to say, if you haven't worn it for two years, for God's sake, throw it out. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like a Jewish art to get it just spot on. I love it. <laughs> but anyway, I think for our um, product development, we could do that. You know, the, the question to ask is... Does, does it spark it, joy? Does it... Yes, or what, what, what was it we used to say? Extra, extra joy. joy. Does it spark yes. extra joy? Does it spark joy? No, it's out. It's... <laughs> Good point. Fabulous. Thank you, Helen. Thank you for all this delicious and simple food. <laughs> it was a pleasure. Yeah.